how many of you went to the skating party last night? Just a show of hands. All right, let's give them a hand. They survived. Okay. I am a horrible skater. Um, and I'm the kid that's on the side of the rail, you know, that goes like this. And they have to lock their skates because they're worried they're going to fall down. That was me. I was that kid, okay? And uh, I was that adult last night, actually, too. And it was so funny. All the kids were, like, on the side as kids were skating. They were, like, giving people high fives. And I was so fearful that I was, like, the worst pastor in the world. All these little kids are having their faces out, like, hey, come on, Pastor Chris, hit my hand. I'm like, I'm going way from them, you know, like way, way far away. But uh, we survived it, and uh, it was good. Um, hey, today we're going to talk about something that you spend a third of your life doing. You have a third of your life doing this thing. It's called work. So you spend a third of your life working, a third of your life sleeping, and a third of your life on Facebook. Okay, I added that last one, all right? It's probably a third of your life with friends, family, free time, however you're going to do that. But if you think about it, folks, that half of your waking hours, half of the hours that you are awake are spent at work. And so the wisest man in the Bible, a guy by the name of Solomon, gives us some perspective on what that should be about. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament, uh, the first half of the Bible, and Solomon was a king and the wisest man in the Old Testament, he says this, It is good and proper for a person to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in their labors, their work. Moreover, when God entrusts any person with wealth and possessions and enables him or her to enjoy them, to accept his lot, and to be happy in his work, this is a, what's it say? A gift from God. Simply put, we want to give you a big idea this morning. It'll come up on the side screens. It's your first fill-in, and this is it. The big idea is one of the greatest blessings that you can have in this life is to love your work and to be fulfilled in your job. To love your work... And to be fulfilled in your job. The Gallup organization has put together uh, a lot of different information regarding how people experience work every day if they're going to love their job. Like, what needs to happen at the workplace if they're going to love their job? And I'll share just a little bit of that list. It'll be rapid fire style. So it's not in your program. If you're like, I'm a note taker. Well, go real fast because I will not wait for you. Okay. All right. That's a loving thing to say right in the first five minutes, isn't it? I will not wait for you. Okay. Here's the first one. They say clear and reasonable expectations that if a person is going to love their job, there has to be clear and reasonable expectations. If you don't know what to do in your job, it can be miserable and you don't love it. If you're being asked to do something that you don't have that skill set in or asked to do something that is unreasonable, it's going to be a problem with your work. Here's the second thing. The opportunity to do what workers do best every single day. In other words, you have some skills in your workplace that you might be the best person. And so we want to do the highest kind of work in those areas and not work so much in our lower talents or the not-so-great gifts. 
Here's the third thing. Regular recognition and praise for doing good work. Do you know what beats up the heart of a worker more than anything else? It's not being noticed. You just are not noticed at all. It's even more hurtful, folks, than having a critical boss. Now, I'm not praising critical bosses here, okay? I'm just saying that most people feel even more upset when they are not noticed and there's no response whatsoever than someone who's even critical in those moments. Here's the next thing. You need to have a supervisor to care about them as a person. They need to have a supervisor that cares about them as a person. How many of you think your supervisor cares for you? If they're here, raise your hand, okay? So, uh, okay, all right, put your hands down. How many of you don't think your supervisor cares about you? Raise your hand, okay? How many of you don't even care this morning? Because that looks like the highest. Yeah, there's a few, all right. So, the thing is, folks, that people long to hear some kind of care from their worker. Workers want their bosses to actually care about them. It's not touchy-feely. It's something that we want. We hope that they care for us. Here's the next thing. Workers need someone at work who encourages their development. Most workers want to grow and get better at what they're doing. And if someone would just kind of encourage them, help them with their development, it would help a lot to, to do that. Here's the next thing. They need to know their opinion matters to someone. They need to know their opinion matters to someone. There are people who uh, are hidden in the workplace. Maybe they work down in the basement or what they do, you know, is, is constant and people don't see it. And they, these people, they care about the organization more than management ever thinks. They want to know that their opinion matters to someone. They say, hey, I don't have to always have my way. I'd just like to have some voice at the table. Here's the next thing. They like to know that their colleagues are committed to doing quality work. You ever been on a team before and like you are just busting it? I mean, you are working very, very hard, and everybody else around you is like on spring break. You're like, seriously? Like, I am working as hard as I can, and you're not doing anything. How does that make a first person feel? They feel demoted. They don't want to do anything anymore. So people who love their job, they love their job because their colleagues are doing the work. Next, someone to talk honestly with their work uh, or with the worker about their progress. Workers love feedback. They love to, to get something back. Am I doing a good, good job? Please tell me. If I'm doing a bad job, tell me. Just tell me how I'm doing. Now, I don't know which of those might have stuck out to you. I have a feeling that as you're going, you're like, yeah, that's the one. Well, here's a couple for me. Here's the first one. Could I use my best skills and talents every day? I'd love my job if I could just use the best talents and gifts I have every single day. Do you ever have, have you ever had that experience where they go, okay, we want you to do this today and you start doing whatever that task is and you're like, I'm horrible at this. I mean, I'm absolutely horrible and it's miserable. And the next day comes, they're like, do it again. 
You're like, uh, okay, so you just keep doing it. And sometimes those days become months and sometimes they become years. And you're like, I'm really good at this thing, but why are you making me do that? Here's another one that kind of jumped out to me. It's this one. Could I please work for a supervisor who would actually care about me as a person and not just as an employee? That they actually didn't just see me as a part of machinery, but they actually cared about me as a person. Would someone actually care about me? Would they praise me when I do well? Would they say, hey, this is something you need to work on? But they would really be like a supervisor who was concerned about maybe my family, maybe about how my life's going, how, how things are happening in my world. Now, when it comes to this whole work world, there are two roles. The first role is what I'm going to call a coach. This is a leader. This is a person who is a supervisor over a group of people. How many are, of you are supervisors, coaches, leaders in your workplace? Raise your hand. Okay. Raise your hand. There we go. All right. So we're, I'm going to talk specifically to you for the first part. Then that doesn't mean you can go to sleep. Okay. And those of you who are not that in that role, that doesn't mean you can sleep now. Okay. You got to stay awake the whole time. Um, so if you're a coach or a supervisor, a boss, here we go. I want to share with you guys who I think is maybe one of the best leaders in the Old Testament. And it's a guy by the name of David. Uh, now, what's interesting about David's life is that the first half of his life, or the first quarter of his life, um, he was a shepherd. He went out into a field by himself, and it was just sheep all day long. No human contact, just sheep. Bah, 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 all day long. That's all he hears. Well, one day God comes to him through a prophet and he says, you're no longer going to just be a shepherd. I'm going to make you the shepherd of the entire nation. I'm going to make you king. And David's like, yeah, baby, you know, forget you sheep. Bah, you know, I'm out of here. And there was only one eensy, teensy, weensy problem. There was already a king. There was already somebody in the throne. So David wasn't sure how this was going to work, but his popularity got real great one day when there was this great big giant, a guy by the name of Goliath, and he was a Philistine. He was an enemy of Israel. And nobody was going to fight him, not even the king at the time, a guy by the name of Saul. And Saul says, like, I'm not going to do it. And David's like, I'll do it. And he takes him down with a slingshot. And what happens in that country is that the popularity, like, switches all from him, King Saul, to David. Kind of like in our own political world. You ever notice, like, this has been going on for, like, months it's this, it's that, and they don't know, you know what I mean? But there's someone that's popular all the time because they say something or they do something. Well, David does something really, really big, and he becomes popular. Now, if that happens, what do you think happened to King Saul? He's ticked off. He's jealous. And he gets so mad, he puts a bounty on the head of David. And he says, you know what? Anyone that takes him out, I'm going to give some money. So David's like, I got to organize a protection team 
But sheep aren't going to do it. Like these sheep are not going to protect me, so I got to get some people. But he had no leadership skill, organizational skill whatsoever. So this is what he does. He simply puts the word out into the street. Hey, I would like to start an organization of people protecting me. So how many of you would like to join? Now, I don't know if there was a recession or what was going on, but there were all of these people who showed up and said, we're in. Do any of you remember how many people showed up? 400. 400. 400 people show up and you're like, wow, that is quantity. The real question, though, if you're a leader, is how about the quality? Right? So let's read about the quality of these people. First Samuel 22. It says this. All who came were in distress or in debt or who were disconsented. (laughs) That's how you're going to start this organization. They're all distressed, they're in debt, and they're discontented. How would you like to start an organization like that? I'm going to start, and this is what we're going to start with. It's not real fun. But again, he has no formal training. But God works with him. He said, God, these are misfits, but show me how to do this. And all of a sudden, this is what he did. He actually took all the people, all 400 of them, and he asked them one question. What are you best at? And so I'd say, oh, man, I'm really good at a bow and arrow. Okay, that's what we want you to do. And he put everybody in their own particular skill sets, and everything went well. He finds out what they're good at and There are clear expectations and rewards. All the things that we saw in the Gallup poll, he rewards them. He asks for their opinion. He keeps them on task. There's a vision. There's a mission. Everybody's on it. And this is what it says about David in Psalm 78. It says this, Dave Shepherd, this group of misfits, remember? They're all distressed, in debt, and discontented. He takes them. And he shepherds them with, what's it say? What is it? With an integrity of the heart. With skillful hands, he leads them. Now, what does it mean to lead somebody with an integrity of the heart? Now, this is going to surprise you, okay? You're going to be shocked here in just a minute. Put your, put your seatbelts on, folks. You know what it means to lead somebody with integrity of the heart? It means you care and you love them. That's what it means. That you actually care about them and that you love them. You actually want what is best in their life. You uncover what their needs are and you seek to meet them. You learn of their hurts and you learn to heal them. You discover their fears and you seek to relieve them. You respect them highly. You see them as a person that matters. And you lift their spirits up constantly during the day. And leaders and coaches and supervisors, if you do this genuinely and consistently over time, you can take a group of misfits and you can turn them into a high-functioning, a high-performing team. Now, some of you this morning, you oversee two or three people. Others of you oversee 20 or 30 people. Some of you might oversee hundreds of people. But if you're a coach, if you're a leader in the workplace, let me ask you this question. Are you lifting up the spirits of the people you oversee? Are you tearing them down? Are you lifting them up 
Or are you tearing them down? Now back to David. So he gets this whole group of people that are not very happy. Remember, they're distressed, they're in debt, and they're discontented. And he puts them all together and he wins them over one at a time. One at a time he wins them over because he gets them in their skill sets. And one night, David is surrounded by the enemy and it's not looking good whatsoever. The food and water line are gone. They have cut off all of the supplies that are coming inside. And things are looking bad. And David, as only a leader or a coach can do, his heart is just overwhelmed. But he has this kind of thought underneath his breath. Man, I wish I could just have some water from that well in Bethlehem. And you're like, wow, that must have been some water. Like, you know, let's put it in. Let's. What they call that? Uh, well, forget it. <clears throat> you ever do that? Like you're saying something and you're like, oh, and and then, but yeah, it doesn't work. So just, anyways, so he wants this water, this really, really good water. And he says, okay, um, I want this water. And he's like, man, if I could just have some water. And this is what happens. You remember what happens? Anybody? This is what takes place. In 2 Samuel 23, 16, it says this. Three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, drew water for the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. Do you understand what's going on here? This is not like the boss or the supervisor or the CEO goes, I'd like some water. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, let's go get him some water so he doesn't complain or so she doesn't complain. Here, here's your water. No, 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 no. This is going into enemy camp. This is going into a place where their life is on the line to get this water for their leader. And when they bring it back to David, they're just waiting to see what his face looks like. Because he's going to be so excited and grateful for this. But when they wake him up and they say, look what we brought you. Look at what scripture says. David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Now, you might be sitting there going, that doesn't seem very grateful. He just poured it out. They just risk his life. Well, in Bible days, there was actually what was called a liquid offering, a water offering. It might be your best wine, your best water, whatever the best liquid. And they would pour it out to God. And immediately they'd say, thank you, God, so much for this. And that's what David does. And he refused to drink. He said this, far be it from me, O Lord, to do this. Is it not the blood of the men who risked their own lives for me? And David would not drink it. Now you've got to realize what's going on here. David is so moved by the commitment of these three guys. They sacrifice their own life for their leader. In effect, he's saying, God, you have taken a group of misfits and you've knit our hearts together. We were all just around just barely. We were all distressed and in debt and discontented. And you brought us together, God. And it's such a beautiful thing. And there's no way I would drink that. That is only a gift from you. And I think about How moving that picture is when you get a group of people together who are all on the same page and they're working for the same thing. And all of a sudden they're knit together 
Have you ever been a part of a workplace before where you walk in and it feels like family? Like people really care about one another. They're asking about things. And I bet you've had that experience before too. You go into the workplace and everyone's out for number one and there's there's backbiting and all of this stuff that's taking place. But David was a different kind of leader. And if you're a coach or a leader or a supervisor, I want you to continue to remember these words. It says this. It says, David shepherded his people with what? Integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. Folks, if, if you're a coach, if you're a leader, if you're a supervisor in your place of work, this is what I want you to understand. That those that you coach up, those that you lead, those that you supervise, more than anything else, you know what you need to understand? They matter to God. People matter to God. The greatest commodity that is in this world to God's heart are people. He treasures people more than he treasures anything else. That's why he sent his one and only son to go to a cross and die and allow his blood to be spilled. Why did he do that? For people. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of who? People. Scripture tells us that 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, every breath of your life... God never sleeps nor slumbers. Why? Because he wants to be available to people. God's plan has always, it has always and ever been about people. So this is my question. If God treasures those individuals that you have oversight of, are you treasuring them? If you're a supervisor, if you're a coach, if you're a leader in the workplace, do you treasure the people that God loves? Are you praying for them regularly? Are you building them up? If you did that, you could change their lives. And I've seen it in this place. I've seen people be those kind of individuals in the workplace, and the whole department comes to Christ. We have a a couple bank departments that everybody in the department is here because someone loved like that. So let me ask you, coaches, leaders, supervisors, do you care about your team? Do you love your team? Do you show practically God's love to people in your team? Okay, that's the first one is uh, the coach or the leader, or the supervisor. The second kind of part, or the second role, is what I want to say is player. And you know, when I put this down, Derek came up to me, he's like, dude, don't say it like this, don't go playa like that. Because that will give a totally different perspective of what you're trying to say. So we're not saying that, okay? We're talking about player as in there's a coach and he oversees a team. Maybe there's 10, 12 50, whatever it is you oversee, but you're on that team. You're a team player. You're a team member. That's who you are. And in this gym today, uh, how many of you are a worker? <laughs> I hate to say player. How many of you are players? And some guy's going to be like, it's me. Any single ladies in the house? You know what I mean? <laughs> All right. We're not going to do that. Okay. How many? <laughs> I'm wrong. I'm really wrong. Um, 
How many of you would say that you're a team member? You, you work on a team, someone oversees you. Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand if that's you. Okay, okay. Well, specifically, I want to talk to you for just a moment. These are the people, those people that just raise their hand. These are the people that get things done. These are the people that are in the trenches. These are the individuals that move the organization forward. And this is what you need to understand. They are just as important as the coach or the leader. Just as important. Now, when it comes to team members, though, this is what I've often found, is that when they think about their talents and their gifts, there are some extremes on how they perceive it. And it all comes down to a four-letter word. So, like, if you've been doing really good lately, you know, not saying any four-letter words, and you're like, man, God's been helping me, but it's like welling up inside of you. Like, you just, you can't wait to say a four-letter word. Like, you've been too good lately. Like, you need a little bad moment in your life, okay? So, if that's you, if you're like, I need to say a four-letter word, we're all going to say a four-letter word in church today, okay? And it's going to come up on the side screen on three. One, two, three. Here's the word. Work! Work. Because sometimes that word can be a four-letter word to people. Work. Ah, you're killing me. You're killing me. Now, people who think that way are the first type of people that I want to talk about this morning. Because they perceive work in different ways. And the first kind of way that people perceive it are what I call a pillow person. Okay? They're a pillow person. They like their lazy boy. They like to just be in the chair. Now, this kind of person throughout their day, in their mind or even physically, even if they have a job, they are thinking, lazy boy, lazy boy. Like as they're, if they're in an office place, they're like, lazy, let's do the internet for the next two hours. You know, no one's going to see, no one will know, so I'm going to do that. Or it's the person who's on the work site, and they're like, hey, can you go get some uh, supplies for this? And they kind of walk like this. I got it. And they just don't work. They're pillow people, pillow persons in their mind. Proverbs 26:14 says this. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. It's this image of a person sitting down in the lazy boy and like rotating like chicken. You know, you just like rotate until you get to the right exact place that you feel. And then all of a sudden you're like leg up. Ah, you're like, oh, that doesn't feel good. Leg down, you know. And this is the worker that we're talking about. And what are they? They are a pillow person. And when they get to work, this is what they think. They think to themselves, what is the least amount of work I can do today to still keep my job? Like, what's the lowest level? I mean, I just want to do the least amount that I can do and uh, still have a job. And so they clock in, they clock out. But they're like, I'm doing the bare minimum. That's it. Okay, the next scripture says this. It'll come up on the side. It says, a fool folds his hands. Here's the image again. 
pillow person. They got the pillow. They put the lazy boy back. They put their hands. They fold it like this. Then they put it behind them. They're like, ah, this is good. And I've seen it happen, folks, in the workplace as well. People who will get there and they just are like in, you know, lazy boy land. And everyone's like, they never do anything. They just are there. That's it. Now, if a person does that long enough, what's the rest of the scripture say? Uh, A fool folds his hands and what? Ruins himself. They actually ruin themselves. There's something about the correlation between a pillow person and human destruction. That if you stay in the lazy boy long enough, in your mind or in your being, it's going to lead to destruction. And God loves you too much to do that. And he's like, guys, don't be led that way. I've gifted you. I've given you talents. You're my masterpiece. I want you to do your best each time that you're at work. You are my masterpiece. And in creating us, he gives us all unique gifts that we can use in multiple different jobs with a, purpose, with a purposeful activity. Because this is the definition of work, folks. This is what work means. Work is a purposeful activity to achieve God's good. He put work so that there would be goodness that would come out Of your work, and it becomes sharper. Your skills become sharper. Your talents become sharper when you work and you experience that. I mean, there's nothing better than the feeling of having a hard day's work. You get to the end of it, and you're like, man, I made a difference. I moved things forward today. Now, the problem with some team members, some team players, is that they perceive labor as a bad thing. They perceive labor as this like horrible punishment. I've been punished. And it's a lie. The Bible says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to, what's the next word? Work it and take care of it. Now just real quickly, wake the person up beside you in case they've drifted off, okay? And I want you to answer this question to the person. Do you think God invented work before they ate the fruit or after they ate the fruit? Go ahead. Ask. Ask. This is the thing. Most people think that human labor came after Adam and Eve ate the fruit and they sinned. It's not the case. God had it in the garden at the very beginning. That's why from my understanding and my theological perspective is that if the garden is considered paradise before the fall, when we get to heaven, we're not all going to be on a cloud with a harp going, ring, welcome, come on in, ring, come on in. You know what I mean? We're actually going to do something that's going to honor God for the rest of our lives. It's not about sitting on a cloud somewhere. And in the same perspective, folks, he gave work so that we would have some abilities. And he thought this will help them to know what their gifts and talents and skills are. They would be able to design 
who they are. And this human labor means that they would actually have a gift that would be given to them. That's why we talked about earnings last week. You have earnings when you're doing the work and God, as you do it over time, it grows and promotions happen because you're doing it to honor him. And you're able to have some benefits. You can pay your bills. You can go out to a movie. You can go to Pizza King. You better bring a a coupon when you go to Pizza King, but you can go to Pizza King. Man, I went to Pizza King last night after, holy cow, you know, three kids, man, it was 30 bucks. I'm like, what is up with that? And I thought I was going to be romantic, and I, (laughs) this is good. Uh, I thought I was going to be romantic, so I bought the biggest pizza, you know, that you could have. And I bring it home, and I'm like, honey, I got your favorite kind and everything. She's like, oh, thank you. And I left the room, and then I walked back in, and she sat up from the couch, that pillow person, Jennifer Bunch. And she sat up. I'm joking. She's the hardest worker I know. But she picked, she picked up a pizza king like, like a drink. I'm like, what are you doing? I brought it. She's like, oh, I, I just got some for myself, too. I'm like, seriously? But what work does is if you work long enough, folks, it actually gives you an opportunity to enjoy some things in life. Now, a scripture verse about work that comes to my mind often is Colossians 3.23. It says this, whatever you do, you work heartily as unto the Lord. It's pretty straightforward. I don't think I have to take any time to do that. Whatever you do, you work heartily as unto the Lord. I think this scripture right here poses three questions that I want to challenge you to ask yourself this morning. The first one is this. Am I working? Now, don't look at me and go, are you working, Bunch? I mean, it's like two, two hours a week, big boy there, you know. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. Um, I'm asking you, are you working? Are you working? Now, I know that some of you are working by raising your children at home. Man, that is a huge job. That is gigantic to do that. Others of you, because of abuse or injury or health problems, uh, you're not working right now. God understands that. But for all of the rest of us, if you are able-bodied, I'm asking the question, are you working? Are you taking seriously God's command to get into the game, to to identify some gifts and talents you have, and to actually work to do something. And don't wait for the perfect job. I can't tell you. I bet it's been at least 100 people in the last 11 years that they'll come to me and they'll say, man, I don't have a job, I need a job. And I'll make phone calls, I'll work, I'll get it all lined up, I'll have it on a silver platter. All they have to do is show up and they've got a job. And then after I do all this work, they'll go, Yeah, they told me that I was going to make this much, and I'm really waiting for something more. Seriously? I just spent all this time to help you to get something, and you're like, well, I'm waiting for the, uh, you know, $33 an hour job. But uh, guess what? It ain't happening. So you got to work. You start somewhere, and God will bless you. God will honor you. He'll lead you in different ways and help your income. But don't be a pillow person because when you start heading down that road, folks, it's a very, very slippery slope. 
Now, there are some of you that are pillow people and you're employed. You've got a job. You just think of tons of ways that you don't have to work during the time. You take the break early. You keep it long. You're on the Internet. Every time they walk in, you click real quick. Oh, oh, you know, I know you. The reason I know you is because I used to be a pillow person myself at one point in my life. I graduated from college. I had a history education degree. I put my resumes out and I didn't get any jobs. So I thought, well, I'll just go home and uh, I'll stay with mom and dad for a little bit. And it'll be like vacation summer. You know, it'll be a vacation for me. And. And I remember thinking one day I was I was down in we had a tri-level house and I was in the basement and there was a couch and uh, I got on that couch and I just like you know I'm sprawled out laying down watching Sports Center you know got food and stuff all around me and I'm thinking this is the life and my parents walked in at that time and they go this ain't happening. I said, oh, you guys want to watch a different channel? I can switch the channel. We don't have watch sports there. I'll watch anything, you know. And they're like, no, no, no. What I mean is this, you laying around and not working, it's not happening. I was like, okay, well, you know, tomorrow. <laughs> you got a friend like that. Everybody's got a friend like that. How you doing? You got a job? No, I don't have a job. When are you going to get one? Oh, man, tomorrow, you know. Like, tomorrow, I'm going to be there, tomorrow. And I said, I said, well, tomorrow. And my dad goes, no, 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 no. Today? Like, right now, I mean, we're not all the way through Sports Center yet. I mean, you know. No, 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 no. Now. So I went out and I got a job at the American Playground Factory making a whopping $4.95 an hour. Woo! Way to go. And that's what I did. And this was what was so horrible. Even once I got the job, I was still a pillow person at work. I tried to hide in places when they'd tell you, hey, go to the paint shop. I found crevices to hide into so they wouldn't find me, you know. I'd be like, oh, I couldn't find it, you know. Dude, it's right there. Oh, well, you know. And I would do all of these kind of things. When break time came, I would go into the swirly slides, these big swirly slides. I mean, I would get inside them and I would like take a nap. And all of a sudden the foreman would come in and be like... Get to work, you know, that kind of thing. So I was like a pillow person at work. And as the summer got to the end, I finally got to the point where I was like, you know what, I got to get like a job. Not that this isn't a job. It's an important job, but I I need something. And so I was like, God, I'm going to start. I wasn't very close to God at that time. I was like, I'm going to start doing this devotion thing because I've heard it works. And so I had this little devotional book and I'm going through And I kid you not, one day I'm reading, and this is the passage, if you can bring it up. This is the passage. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord. And I was so convicted. I was like, God, this is where you have me right now, and I'm not doing that. And I wanted to change. I wanted to look differently. It was the first time in my life that I realized every single place that I work I need to work not for the supervisor, not for the boss, not for everybody else. I need to work for Christ alone. Here's the second question. Am I working? The second question is, am I working heartily? Are you working 
heartily. Folks, like I shared, a third of your life is at work. Are you working heartily? Do you show up on time? Do you hit the deadlines that they ask you to hit? If we were to go to your job today and we were to ask them, is this person in the top 10% or the bottom 10%, what would they say? Are you working heartily? And the third question is this. Am I working heartily as unto the Lord? Are you working heartily as unto the Lord? Someone who works as unto the Lord is a person who is filled with great intensity, great integrity. They're people who are able to connect and communicate with other people. They're not a, a thorn in the flesh. They're helping everyone go forward. And folks, if you're a Christ follower, every single time you walk into the workplace, you represent Christ. And people are watching you. And if any reason you ever say, say, share anything about your faith, people are looking to see, is this a person that is the real deal? Are you representing God beautifully and others are drawn to God or are you not so beautiful and people keep their distance from you? Because this is the thing, if you don't represent well, when they keep their distance from you, guess who else they keep their distance from? The God you serve. Are you relating the love of Christ with your coworkers? Are you understanding that Jesus Christ is your supervisor? I was so proud. Uh, a few weeks ago, I walked outside. It was real warm in December, kind of like today. And I walked out, and uh, my neighbor was out there. He's very far from God, and we've reached out to him a lot and prayed for him. Got a good relationship. And I was talking to him. He came up to me. He goes, hey, do you know so-and-so? And it was a person that owned a business here at the jar. And I'm thinking, oh, no. You know, I don't know why I do that. You, do you do that? Sometimes you think, oh, no, like what's going to be next, you know? And I said, yeah, I know them. And then he said, that guy right there, he's the best. He's like, if you ever need any of this done for your life, you should have him do it. He is the best at doing it. He has the highest integrity. He always gives the right uh, quote. He never adds more. He's just a person that's great. If you have any work in this area that you need done, you need to ask for him. And I was like, yeah. He's like, he is the best in the business. And then I was like, uh, well, I pastor the church that he attends. <laughs> and I kid you not, he looked at me almost like, there are people like that in church? Like, I thought he was going to have, like, a recruiting fair. You know what I mean? Like, trying to get some of you to pull out. And that's the thing, folks. It, it really does work that way when you work as unto the Lord. Okay. It delights God. And it has an evangelistic opportunity. Now, to close out, I want to talk very briefly before you all have to go to Bob Evans. So just hang with me, okay? I want to talk about what's on this side of the stage because I think that team members, workers, players, have another perception about work as well. And it's what I call a workaholic. And a workaholic is a person who goes to work and they're constantly reaching inside and they're drinking and drinking more and more work. They just want more and more work. How can I get more work? Work, 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 work. It becomes a drug to them. Now, 
We don't want to downplay the fact that there are folks that struggle with alcoholism and we want to be sensitive to that. That's why we have a whole uh, recovery group that meets on Thursdays. If it's alcohol, drug abuse, some other hurt habit or hang up that you have in your life, that's where you can get better. You can get well. But this is what I want to tell you. Workaholics become just as addicted to work and many times go unnoticed and it tears up marriages, it tears up families, it tears up communities because people focus on that so much. And there's a passage that deals with workaholism. Here it is. Psalm 127.2. It says this. It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night for the Lord provides for those he loves. The scripture is like, if you have an issue where you cannot stop working, you always have to be working, doing the next thing. You take every overtime hour there is, not because you need the money, but because you think it defines who you are. You're a workaholic. The workaholic loses perspective and they put everything else on hold. And it's a jeopardy to ignoring their spouse and their kids. They bury their emotions at work. And it's all about work. And why is it, folks? Why do we go so fast? Why do you feel like you always have to take everything that the employer says when it adds to more work and more work and more work? And you feel like you do that. Well, this has been my experience with workaholics. This is why workaholics do this. Because they grew up in homes that were pretty much performance-driven. That they were taught at a very early age that if you want love, if you want acceptance, then there's something you have to perform to get it. So you fly higher, you work harder, you run a little faster. And so when the supervisor comes up to a workaholic and says, you are doing great, you're doing awesome, you're one of the best dedicated workers we have, it's just like they go back and they just drink it in more and more and more because they're finally getting acceptance and understanding. And I'll tell you what, you put a pin on their lapel, you give them a plaque that goes up, or you give something a little applause for what they're doing, and they'll run to it. They'll just keep on working and working and working and working. You see, some of you, what your problem is, is that you're suffocated to try to please other people. You want to work and please other folks. And you overextend yourselves at work. People will come up to you and you're like, you're the most unselfish worker. You're the most dedicated worker. And then you go home and all of a sudden there are these demands from your spouse or from your kids. And you get angry. Like, why are they asking me to do this? You can't understand how they could have the nerve to say that you're a selfish dad or a selfish mom or a selfish wife or a selfish husband. But if you're here, guess who's right, folks? It's not your employer. It's your family. And they're suffering severely because of this subtle selfishness. And this is what I'm saying, parents. That if we took some of your kids out of Jar Kids right now and they came down here and they were able to say, hey, do you think your mom and dad work too much? Do you think they're gone? Do you think they're always? Some of their little hearts would say this. They'd say, God, please, please help my mom. 
help my dad to get it right. And there are some spouses that are in this place today that they're, they're whole stomach is just like in turning going, God, help my husband to hear this. Help my wife to hear this today. Folks, if you're a workaholic, what you need more than anything else is you need one or two, three, one or two or three people in your life who speak into your life and say, you know what? God's head over heels in love with you. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to work any harder. You don't have to do more. He loves you just where you're at. You don't have to impress anyone. You don't have to keep on going up the ladder. You don't have to work 60 or 70 or more hours a week. Folks, if you're a workaholic, really deep down inside, you don't even realize it. And some of you are going to be like, nope, that's not what I need. No, it really is. What you need and what you're craving more than anything else is community. And you're longing for a relationship with God that would be so close and so connected that you're like, God, I really do want to to honor you in all of this. And you would have some close connections of friends that you would be doing like deeply together that in the midnight hour, you don't have to think, who would I call? It was like, I only had to pick up one phone call and they're all there. And at the center of the cross, folks, is the essence of the health of all life when it comes to the work world. So as we close, this is what I'm going to ask you to do in your mind. We have this continuum. It's in your program, too, if you want to mark it there. But we have this continuum between what it means to be a pillow person and what it means to be a workaholic. And so in your mind, where are you at? Are you here? Are you over here? Are you sitting in the chair? Maybe you're right in the middle. You're working heartily as unto the Lord. That's where the cross is. But maybe you're over here. Or maybe you just keep drinking in and drinking. You're just working more and more and more and more. And so what I'd like you to do right now is just to take a risk. And I want you to ask God to whisper to you, where do you want me to move? God, do I need to move more this way or do I need to move more that way? God, how do you want me to move? And I believe that he could whisper that to you right now and you could have that part of your life as a fresh start in 2016. You do it the right way and whatever he whispers to you, Just obey. So let's take a moment right now and just ask God that question. Whether you're a a coach or a player, a leader, a team member, God, which way do you want me to move? Holy Spirit, come speak to your people. Which way are you asking them to move? Let's please stand for closing prayer.
loving God, I come to you this day and and I pray for those coaches, those leaders, those supervisors. And maybe honestly, God, they they haven't really cared that much about the people that they oversee. They haven't asked in a long time, how are you doing? How's your marriage? How are things going? And I pray, God, that like David, you would place within them a spirit today that it would help them to lead with an integrity of the heart, to care and to love for the people that are on their team. And God, I pray for all of our players and team members, workers that go in each day and they work, God. And I pray, God, that they would work as they're working unto you, that you're the supervisor, Jesus, every time they go into that workplace. And that maybe both for coaches and players, God, they look at this continuum. And I pray that the people who feel like they're leaning more towards being a pillow person, God, that you'd bring them more towards the center of the cross of what it means to work heartily as unto the Lord. And for those who are workaholics, God, and are just constantly trying to find their identity in what they do, God, would you pull them out of that? And would you help them move closer to the center to let them know that who they are is your creation, who you love? And it's my prayer, God, especially for parents, that little kids would never have that concern that, God, please let my mommy hear this. Please let my daddy hear this. And that they would make the steps this year to make a fresh start so that your name would be made great. God, we thank you for work. It allows us to to make an impact in this world. We want to do that so that your name would be made great. We pray this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray.